Joseph. And I'm Nick. <laughs> that was very aggressive. <laughs> this is Fish Jelly. <laughs> how are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. I sound nice and clear. Oh, yeah. You went out last night? I did. I did. It was the 30th anniversary of um, erotica. Madonna's erotica. Mm-hmm. Homosexuals don't... Just any excuse to be out. <laughs> Um, but it was at the 28th anniversary of Ellen coming out on her show. Like, but it was at precinct for their because they're one of their Saturday night shows, a sugar tank, uh, hosted, hosted by the is it the House of Avalon with Simone sure. and Gigi Good, and so they were all there. Um, how was that? It was good. They put on uh, interesting performances, and uh, yeah, it was it was an enjoyable time. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I saw Guillermo Diaz there. Okay. Who has a new movie this weekend that I didn't like? Called Bros. Yep. I also offended someone from that movie. <laughs> that was also there last last night. Wow. <clears throat> we got a lot of comments on the video, like specifically, like I'm bitter and I'm mad, and yeah, <laughs> I mean that's like. <laughs> When people are tired of seeing certain shit, like, yeah, I, I am bitter and bad. Where um, just you received that criticism? Yeah, because I'm probably more vehement about just like, you know, my comments about like gay white men. and But, you know, I already knew when I said it, like anytime I say anything about white people, gay or straight yeah, it's a, and male, it, it always, those are the videos with the most negative comments. God, I wish the thumbs down button was still working. So, um, yeah, but anyway, we got our COVID, like the bivalent booster yesterday. Mm -hmm. So my arm hurts a lot. Another week of arms hurting after two monkeypox vaccines and... I'm just full of shit. And then I have to go back and get the flu vaccine at some point. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. I'm a Petri dish. Do you know who Ned Fulmer is? No. Do you know who the Try Guys are? Yes. We used to watch, or we, I mean, I would play the videos years you, ago. You used to expose me to them, yes. I had no idea that was still a thing. But oh, they're, I didn't but, but they're going strong. They're still trying things? Ned Fulmer, yes, they're still trying things. And Ned Fulmer tried cheating on his wife. Uh, <laughs> so that... Wait, I, which one's he? Okay, so you know there's the Asian one who pretended to not be gay for a while. Yeah. And then there's the one who's really thin and kind of had a receding hairline, but now he has hair again. The With the glasses? Yes. And then there's a really tall one. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other one. That was kind of more like bro-y. Uh, uh, I can try to They were it. all white except for the one, right? Yes. Um, let me, just so we're clear, this is who Ned Fulmer is. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, <clears throat> they became popular... Uh, on YouTube and they started their own sort of business. So they have obviously a big team because they have like over 7 million subscribers and their videos get millions of views. So they have an office with staff. Sure. I don't follow any of these people, but um, Ned cheated on his wife with, uh, had a consensual relationship with a staff member. Okay. Never a good idea. Never a good idea. And has been kicked out of the Try Guys oh. for, for for this. 
So I was reading a lot about it just because I, well, reading a lot about it. I read a few op-ed pieces because there's this one lady for The Guardian who was had written some stuff that I found really interesting. But first, so first of all, he issued an apology on Instagram. As one does these days. And yeah. then she wrote this article about how all these celebrities are starting to write, you know, like the notes app on your iPhone. Mm -hmm. Like these celebrities are writing like apologies on there and then posting them on social media, like how Justin Timberlake did for Britney and Janet. So he wrote one and I'm just going to read it. It says... Family should have always been my priority, but I lost focus and I had a consensual workplace relationship. I'm sorry for any pain that my actions may have caused to the guys and the fans, but most of all to Ariel. The only thing that matters right now is my marriage and my children, and that's where I am going to focus my attention. So Ariel is his wife and he has two children by her. So it's like, well, who cares? Like, what is him? You know, like for most of us, like if you have... Uh, marital troubles that shouldn't affect your job but obviously he's a public figure and his image is very much so what i found interesting is the lady who wrote the article talked about um she coined i i believe she's the one who coined this term like the wife guy so it's like this like how all these like straight guys are sort of creating this persona of like how they're really into their wives. So then there was some guy, some video went viral of some guy going on a hike with his wife mm -hmm. and she falls, like she slips down the cliff. Like if you're walking around Runyon mm -hmm. and you slip and then the, I watched the video, it's very dramatic. Like she could have died, but I mean, yeah, yeah, she could have kept falling, but she didn't. And then how he was so scared. And then there's some other guy who's like very attractive. His video went, or a picture he posted went viral because He's like a good looking guy who's like tall and fit and then his wife is very curvy. So they call him like the curvy wife guy. So just this concept of like these men who are doing what they're supposed to do. Like I'm assuming if you married this lady it's because you love her the way she well, is. Right, like or that you would care about her if she were to be hurt. And then for Ned Fulmer... Looking at his Instagram, he is very much a wife guy. Like, everything is about his wife and all... Like, if you go to his Instagram, it's all about them together and all the things they do and how much his children mean to him and how much his wife means to him and how great their relationship is. And then it's like, wow. Well, I'll, I'm, I, just another uh, example of how social media is all purely performative. Well, so I'm not making any commentary on, I don't know these people or their relationship and who knows, this might be a Nia Long situation where she knew her man was having sex with the staffer and now it's just that everyone else knows and he lost his job so it's embarrassing. But I'm more interested in this idea of like this performance that people put on mm -hmm. and it reminds me of the Chris joke bit or the, the Chris Rock bit where he talks about people wanting credit for what they're supposed to do. <laughs> like dads who say, I take care of my kids. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. Like, well, you're supposed to love your wife. You're supposed to like do things with her and you're supposed to love your kids. And yeah. You're supposed to save her from falling down a cliff. So you want credit that your wife is like, you know, a size 16. I mean, you married a big bitch. Like it is what it is. Like, I mean, what, what like you want a cookie? What, what right. is the point of this performance? Yeah. That's odd. So I think it's embarrassing that, you know, just looking at his social media, like, oh God. So you, you paint this picture, like you have them, you married your best friend and lover and it couldn't be better. And it's like, well, doesn't seem that way. Again, no judgment against him, but just more like you look like a clown. I mean, judge away. I, I, well, I I'm not, we're no, here for judgment. Well, but you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I like, I just think, sure. 
if I could make six figures a month pretending to be someone I'm not on social media, would I do it? Uh, yeah, like I would. Sure. Yeah. If I could make my year salary in one month just pretending that I'm like really jazzed about shitty movies, I probably would. Yeah, well, I would. What, um, and everyone else would too. I mean, that's... Because yeah, they do. That's what, they're, that's what <laughs> they're doing. Because that's what they're all doing. Mario Lopez and like, Maria Menounos. But, and now Sherry uh, Shepard. And now about Sherry Shepard. Crying about at Jasmine's Blues. No, she said the Jasmine... No, she goes... <laughs> We're going to talk about Sherry Shepard, actually, um, so we could save it. But oh, it's but what your the wife guy concept I immediately went to was Tom Cruise, the original wife guy. Well, we just watched um, Niecy Nash on Sherry Shepard's show, and she was so enthusiastic about her husband, her husband, and then it made me think of Tom Cruise and the performance. And it's just so weird. Like you're supposed to love the person you marry, right? So I don't understand that why was people. Such an, uh, like you're you're the one being interviewed. Why is your partner also being lassoed into this interview from the audience a lot? And people always comment like how I seem mean and like to you, and that I don't like you. And it's like, do they? Uh, yeah, I mean, I delete a lot of things, but oh. but, but I have to read everything, so I'm subjected <laughs> to a lot that. more than you are. Mm-hmm. But it's like. I've been married for 14 years and it's just unrealistic to think that this man doesn't annoy me or I don't annoy him or I don't agree with what he says or I'm bothered or, or I'm, I'm having a good time and I'm laughing and we agree. I'm not saying we're the portrait of like a healthy, perfect relationship. I just think it's kind of lame that people see these obvious uh, performances and think that it's real. Mm -hmm. And I, and I guess that's, probably what caught my attention is like, I'm not judging Ned Fulmer. Like I can only imagine what it's like to have a, you know, it, it must be very restrictive, especially to be like a straight dude. And like you got married younger and you had these kids and you have to have this life and straight men don't have access to alternative lifestyles the way queer people do. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure they feel <laughs> stuck. So I could probably really um, empathize with whatever, he would say to explain his behavior because you know for who he is and what he does and the image he presents he doesn't have a lot of options or outlets but yeah i i just think it's interesting that because then of course i was reading the comments on all of his posts mm -hmm. and it's all these people mostly ladies talking about i'm so disappointed and blah like okay <laughs> like <laughs> You've all had your man cheat on you too. Like, it's just what happens. Like, people, it's just, I don't know. They're, it's like people don't understand reality. It's right. like you want to believe lies and you want to have people bullshit you. And it, it's all commercials. Mm -hmm. Social media is a big commercial. <laughs> An advertisement. A big ad. A big ad in the sky. So after we watched the Jeffrey Dahmer series on Netflix. I've been watching like a ton of like Jeffrey Dahmer interviews, like anything I can get. I've been revisiting. Mm -hmm. There's also a documentary series coming out. And then of course I'll want to watch that. But in the meantime, cause we have access to that this coming week, I think. Uh -huh. So I've just been uh, like consuming anything Jeffrey Dahmer and I've been really interested in his dad. And right before you came downstairs, I finished an interview he did with Oprah. The dad. Yeah. Okay. Lionel Dahmer. And I really like Oprah. She is, for reasons that are, 
she's problematic in some ways, but as everybody is. as everyone is. But I think for what you know, for me being a forty three year old, like Oprah and her time on TV has spanned like the majority of my adult life. Mm-hmm. So. And then just seeing this black woman on TV and being so lit and so successful. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of value in my mind. So I like her for that. But revisiting some older interviews of hers, I want to talk more about Dahmer, but revisiting some old interviews of hers, she is very aggressive and like doesn't listen very well. <laughs> like she, she has a point she wants to make and she's just going to bulldoze through it. So in particular, her interview with Lionel Dahmer was uncomfortable. But... Talking about the performance that we see with Ned Fulmer and social media, I think this attitude that people had towards Lionel Dahmer, because I was re- watching all these interviews he did and the people's response to him. And it's like, okay, first of all, this question of like, well, when you think of someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, the first thing, and this is what Oprah's saying in the interview, like you think of like, how did his parents raise him? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, they didn't raise him to be a fucking cannibal. Like, no. I mean, it's just unreasonable. And most of y'all got garbage ass kids who, of course, in hindsight, you would think I didn't, what does every parent say? I didn't raise my kid to be like that. Right. So I think it's so weird that it's like, oh, like, because there's this very public sort of situation with someone doing heinous things. And then questioning the parent, like, how did he know? But watching Lionel Dahmer's interview, it's very interesting to see him attempt to balance, because he is an educated man, Mm -hmm. he's a scientist, try to balance, like, being an absentee shitty father Mm -hmm. with reconciling how he missed the potential signs that his child was deeply disturbed. And I just think, like, it's so funny how people judge him, but I would argue that there are probably a lot of... You know, maybe nowadays it's a little different because parents seem a little more aware and present. But if you think about people my age and their parents, I feel like most, like I could say my dad was kind of like that. We, I mean, for years, I think have for generations lived under this lie that about children and children's behavior and, you know, even myself growing up and doing things I, you know, certainly shouldn't have been doing and exhibiting behaviors that were all, you know, troubling as well. Um, for, as an angsty teenager, people see what they want to see and they interpret it the way they want to interpret it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't telling his parents what he was doing and they're like, okay. Uh, well, and then just hearing people be so judgy like in the audience and then like, yeah, it, it's like, okay, well, he grew up in the Midwest and his dad, his fr- like his family had a huge home on like almost two acres of land. There was a lot because they're like, how could you not notice that he was skinning animals? Well, they had this really big, nice house and a bunch of land in like the woods. So it's like, yeah, it was very easy for him to duck out. And also like, like whose parents were watching them 24 seven? Well, and they were having marital problems, and they separated, like many people's parents do. So I kind of felt bad listening to him try to negotiate something that would make people feel good. And it's like, Lionel Dahmer doesn't need to make people feel good. His son is, is like a notorious serial killer, and he probably is deeply disturbed by that. It, like, well, right, and... It, <laughs> But the bigger problem is how culturally there were certain things that allowed him to go on and on and on. 
Well, yeah. I mean, if you think, yeah. I mean, it's such with, a bigger with, topic, right? But as yeah. as the series, you know, attempts to address is uh, how we don't care about queer people, especially if they're brown or black and uh, they're expendable, and you know, many many will go missing before somebody starts asking questions. And people were so critical of Lionel Dahmer talking about it, but it's like, what did this like straight middle aged white guy from the Midwest in the nineteen nineties know about gay people of color? And that lifestyle. What did what could he have possibly have said that would have made? Because you know, a lot of his language didn't really reference like the victims. But it's like, who would be equipped? Who would be equipped? What if what what if I what if some detectives knock on my door and tell me that you killed fifteen black men or something? Like, how would I even? <laughs> Like, I wouldn't even know. And I've spent hours talking about this sort of crime. And if it actually happened to me, I wouldn't even know what to think or where to begin. So I think it's it's just funny watching this man. I mean, there are things in life that are just extraordinary. And this would be one of those. Like, And we judge people so harshly on things that are extraordinary. Like, this does not happen to everyone. Mm -hmm. So we can't expect this person to behave in a way that would satisfy us. And his life was ruined too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're his last. I don't even know. I hope he changed his name. If yeah, he's that, still alive, that, like, that's the last name that. Uh... Because Jeffrey Dahmer had a brother, and I'm hoping he changed his last name too. I know the his mom did. Yeah, his biological mother. But moving on to something much more light. Um, I've never been a fan of Sherry Shepherds because on the View she was just a moron. And yeah. for those who don't remember, she's the one who posed. Uh, or sort of challenge the idea that the earth is round, but uh-huh. <laughs> she's, she's of that variety, but she has replaced Wendy Williams time slot um, for the Wendy Williams show. So Sherry Shepard has her own talk show and we watched an episode and I have to say, I liked it more than I thought I would. I think it, it's more polished than Wendy. And it's very fun and positive. Yes. Like she's not being mean and nasty. A like gossip. Wendy was. Yeah. yeah. She's just like, like just being fun and light and I enjoyed it. Um, granted we saw interviews with two people she really likes Mm -hmm. and then Tyler Perry. So of course she was just gushing, 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 but I definitely like watching her more than Wendy Williams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So there is a winner for, um, RuPaul's, uh, secret celebrity drag race. God, I already forgot about that. Yes, there is. <laughs> the final three were Tatiana Ali, AJ McLean, and Mark Indelicato, mm-hmm. the kid from Ugly Betty and... Veeps. No. No. Uh, sorry, but, uh, uh Hacks. Hacks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not familiar with him, but, um, AJ McLean ended up winning... Yeah, as I predicted. I predicted this. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah. Um, it was fun enough. I don't think that... The only... I, I think I just hate the production and how... Mm, the, the audience interaction and how like Michelle and Ross have to say all this fucking bullshit all the time as judges. It's so great. Well, it has to be super produced because RuPaul is not, you know, free to... I mean, it's very produced. Like... The, the the makeup and the lighting for RuPaul has to be. You're a fully fledged drag queen. So, okay. So 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 I think when you consider like all the bullshit the judges have to say combined with everything has to be timed sort of like for RuPaul, mm-hmm. it's 
Yeah. Although uh, the best part of that series is <laughs> there are so many um, the camera catching RuPaul looking insane as mm-hmm. he's intently taking in the performance. Yeah, he seems <laughs> medicated, or maybe he's microdosing shrooms or something. Uh, if I had bothered, if I'd cared to, we would have paused that television and taken some shots. Yeah, th- th- there'd be a lot of uh, prime shots. Okay, so we did get a question I thought was interesting. So if you have a significant other, mm-hmm. like, and I, I think this would apply to like if you're like a same-sex couple or maybe an interracial couple or um, you have different religions and you know that your parents would not approve of the person you're dating, do you bring them home? No. I, that, that was how I felt about that's why you didn't meet my dad for 14 years because I didn't know how he was going to act and why would I put somebody that put me through something why would I put someone I love through that I would agree I'm probably less uh, less black and white than you are I it's not a firm no it would be like I would have to prime you because we see in the movies and in TV shows all the time where like someone will bring their significant other home and it's like, you didn't tell me your parents were awful. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't tell me they're going to be this mean. And it's like, if your parents are this rude, why do you even care what they think about me? Like, they're awful people. So. Or not standing up when, you you know, you need to check your parents sometimes. I think it would, de- I think it would depend. If my parents were vile and I knew that they would not approve of you, but they're also paying for my $3 million townhouse, I would explain to you, like, listen, we need to smooth over my parents. They're paying for all this shit. They're going to be dicks. Like, we're just going to go for an hour. This is what you need to say. And then we only have to visit them once a year. I feel like that could be appropriate. Because we have to be practical, too. Like, I, I think this notion of, like, write off your family. Well, it's, if, if if they don't like my girlfriend, I'm going to break up, like, like, cut ties with them. That's not realistic. Well, sure. But, yeah, yeah, it depends on your level of how you how beholden are you to your parents, either emotionally or financially. Um, you know, m- myself, I was like, I'm... From right out out of high school, I was supporting myself, so I exactly never had to be put uh, into that situation where I needed to depend on them at all for anything. Um, and we talk; we're we're fine now. But I was very much like I, so that was never something. I was free to live my life and be with who I wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, I do think that if my parents said, like, you know, I hate. Uh, you know, white people, don't you ever bring home a white person? It's like, well, understood. Have, fundamentally, <laughs> fundamentally, I have a problem with that statement. Like, that's just not, of like, course. Or, or, you know, if they say, don't you ever date a Jewish person? Don't you ever date a, it's like, okay, well, I, that, that does not fall in line with my beliefs. And mm-hmm. we would, like, that would be a reason where I would say, like, I probably don't need to interact with my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, in, 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 in a way that would ever require them to meet my significant other. But, I'm not actually following my own advice because that was what I said to you. Like, I do think I have to meet your dad Mm -hmm. because if something happens, I don't want to be uncomfortable. And then something did happen Mm -hmm. where like we had to meet. So it's like, I I think there are practical reasons for why I, I just think like when we see it in the movies and on TV, it's always like, you're kind of an asshole for putting your significant other in this situation. <laughs> like you didn't prime them properly. I think there's a way to prime someone where there's a way to prime. I, again, I think it's. I, I'm not trying to be rigid, and it's not black and white. Every everybody has a different uh, scenario that you need to weigh, and um, you know sometimes it's you end up coming. You, sometimes that mixing uh, has a you end up having a better 
relationship with your parents anyway after they are forced to confront certain things, perhaps. But Sure. Okay, moving on to films that were released we didn't cover. Something called Dead for a Dollar. <sighs> no, we didn't, but it's on our website. Oh, you wrote a review for it because you saw it at Venice. Yes. Yes. Uh, so there is, it's like a Western. Yeah, but yeah. directed by the, the great Walter Hill. And I liked Willem Dafoe. I think he's fantastic in it. Um, I don't really like... Uh, is it Rachel... Is it Brosnahan from The Marvelous Ms. Maisel? Uh, don't ask me. I... Well, did you... I know you had to proofread that review. So. You think I remember anything I read? Nope. Anyway, that... We do have coverage. Her name is... So actually, I have our website up so I can see it. Her, it's, uh, her name is Rachel... Brosnahan. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really care for her. She's also in House of Cards. I wouldn't. Oh, is she the one who... The prostitute that they have to hide oh, away? Oh, I do recognize her, actually. Mm. Yeah, she was my least favorite part. But anyway... Uh, I, and I need to rewatch House of Cards. Yes. Yeah. One day. Uh, also, God's Creatures opened this weekend, which we didn't cover. Uh an A24 film. I saw that at Cannes and I reviewed it at Ion Cinema if anyone's interested. It uh, is directed by Sayla Davis and Anna Rose Homer. I liked Anna Rose Homer's first film well enough, The Fits, a few years ago, uh, but she's got Emily Watson and Paul Mescal uh, in this Irish film that's kind of a, a, about a mother who realizes she has a terrible son because he raped some girl and gets away with it. Uh, it's very standard, and I really do like Emily Watson, but I didn't even bother asking if you wanted to see it. Mm. Next, My Best Friend's Exorcism. Um, we got a lot of emails about this, but uh, Damon Thomas, who's probably best known for Penny Dreadful, uh, directed this movie starring Elsie Fisher, the lead from 8th grade. Uh, and I don't know anything about it other than that. Lastly, something called Sirens. Uh, it's a rock doc directed by Rita Baghdadi uh, about uh, the Middle East's first female metal band. Mm. All right, movies you watched for fun. Something called Nadine. Nadine, uh, 1987, directed by Robert Benton, who's best known as the screenwriter of Bonnie and Clyde and the writer-director of Kramer vs. Kramer. Uh, this is kind of a B-side he wrote for Kim Basinger. Uh, and also starring Jeff Bridges and Rip Torn. And uh, it's set in 1950s Texas, and I think Kim Basinger is quite fun in it. Uh, it's a sweet little film. Next, The Gauntlet. Um, I'm still trying. I, I haven't read. Uh, somebody had requested as a secret film we do The Beguiled, uh, which is my favorite Clint Eastwood film. And I've been waiting to actually read Sandra Locke's memoirs from the late 90s, who is, you know, uh, a partner of Clint Eastwood's Forever, and they had a very uh, public, conscious, uh, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They had a conscious, contentious? they had a, a contentious, conscious uncoupling. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, they starred in I think six films, and she plays a prostitute that he has to escort from Las Vegas to uh, I forget where they're going now. Uh, but he directed this film in 1977 called The Gauntlet, uh, that has a few pretty uh, intense shootout sequences. It, it, it's worth a watch if you like Eastwood. Next, Mr. Klein. Uh, I finally got around to reviewing this, uh, uh, released on the Criterion Collection several months ago, uh, but it is directed by Joseph Lozier and uh, starring Alain Delon, a very interesting film about uh, a man. It's a Kafkaesque film about a man who... Uh, in 1942, Nazi-occupied 
uh, France discovers that there's a, a doppelganger running around with the same name who's Jewish and he's trying to desperately clear his name. Hmm. Next, Chan is missing. Um, an early hit uh, directed by Wayne Wang, uh, who I think you know from uh, who directed Beauty Shop. Oh. Uh, interesting film, also on Criterion. I haven't uh, written about it yet, but that I, I did like well enough. And uh, it just so happens that another Wayne Wang film is being restored and re released just a week or two ago called Life is Cheap, but Toilet Paper is Expensive. Uh, and I got around to watching that too, which is interesting and kind of fun uh, in, a, in a meandering sort of way. I think I prefer Chan is Missing, but yeah. Uh, next is The Good House The Good Sigourney House. Weaver. Yes, that we covered that over a year ago out of the Toronto International Film Festival. There uh, were several comments like, how did you review this a year ago? The answer is simple. We watched it a year ago. <laughs> and Well, it says, as in all of them, we introduced what it was out of. Um, <laughs> that finally got released, I, I think, is getting probably mixed to positive reviews. And, it, you know, I, I've already seen a couple headlines mentioning she deserves uh, Oscar attention, which I, of course, agree with. If Glenn Close can get nominated for The Wife or what was that redneck movie Ron Howard directed? Um, no, didn't she get one? Uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Yes. Yes. And, and The Wife, it's like that's a film that was a really good performance and a, everybody thought it was a so-so film. My recollection of The Good House is I really liked Sigourney in it. I think she's quite funny and um, she, she's in it a lot. Like it's a big performance. I recall thinking Kevin Klein is like, maybe that could have been someone else. It's their third time together. So they're yeah, I, don't, I, I recall feeling like he was kind of, I, I don't know. I don't want to say I watch our review, I guess, no, I, <laughs> for I, a more accurate review of it. Um, but of course I had a screener and uh, I watched it twice out of the Toronto and so I, I watched it again by so myself. So you've seen it three times I've seen now. it three times, and I think she's fantastic in it, yes. Okay, lastly, I watched a movie called Gatlop, which is a 2022 movie. It's like a comedy horror. It's directed by someone named Jim Mahoney. I don't know who that is. But it caught my attention because it has Sarunas uh, J. Jackson from Insecure, who I now see at the gym. Okay. So I thought, oh, let me check it out. And uh, I actually thought it was pretty fun. It's about a group of friends who... Gatlop is the name of some game. And it's kind of like uh, where you pull cards and ask friends, like, questions. And they do things. And it's supposed to, like, help you understand your... Like, the people you're playing with better. But then, of course, like, secrets are revealed. And there's some evil entity that's making them do things to uncover. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think... I don't know what I, I didn't look up anything about this movie. I'm assuming it had quite a low budget, but it looks pretty good, and I think there's some pretty inventive sequences. So, um, the person who made this movie, I think, did a good job of um, making the most of what they had, and I thought the story is pretty derivative. But um, I, yeah, the performances were pretty fun. So. I just threw that in there because that's something I watched. Okay. And I don't like to watch. Just like how people don't like to do... Uh, Kim, uh, what is it that they don't want to do charity without it being televised? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't want to watch movies unless I can talk about them now. <laughs> okay. Projects of interest. Something called And. Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, he still has poor things in post-production. I'm assuming that'll probably be at Cannes. Uh, he's filming a new uh, project in New Orleans next week, starring, uh, again, his third time with Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Jesse Plemons, and Margaret Qualley uh, are all part of that production. Uh, I don't remember what it's about, but of course that will be a, 
something I'll, I'll be interested in seeing. Next, Nosferatu. Uh, Robert Eggers, after The Witch, was trying to remake um, Nosferatu for years. And I think after it, it looks like that's coming together, which is kind of exciting. Uh, and he's recruited Bill Skarsgård to be uh, the vampire. And Lily Rose Depp, I believe, uh, is the female lead. 48 Hours in Vegas. Uh, Jonathan Majors has been recruited to play Dennis Rodman in this film. I don't know if... Wait, who's playing Dennis Rodman? Jonathan Majors. Oh, I'd have to look up who that is. From Lovecraft Country and The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Hmm. Uh, You've seen him in something. Uh, Is there a movie about Marlena Dietrich? Oh, God. Fatih Akin, who directed Diane Kruger in In the Fade, has uh, hired her to play Marlena Dietrich in a five-part series. Um, You know, for years, Ryan Murphy was trying to get uh, Dietrich series off the ground with uh, Jessica Lange mm. that I maybe will not come together now. I, it's more appropriate that a German should actually be playing uh, Marlena. You know, in the 90s, Isabelle Huppert was uh, talking to Louis Maul uh, about playing Dietrich, which that would have been fantastic. Uh, clearly, obviously, she's not German, but, um, you know, she, she could have done that. Uh, Dark Wire. Jason Bateman is directing a... Uh, thriller, a tech thriller based on true events for Netflix called Dark Wire. Listen, after that last season of Ozark, I don't trust him. He didn't direct all of that. Just uh, I, I would need to hear some good words about this movie before I would agree to watch it. You liked <laughs> the films he did because Bad Words I thought was entertaining enough, and then uh, yeah, but those were comedies. He no, he directed that Stephen King series you liked, or he did a couple episodes. The Outsider with Cynthia Yeah, Rivo. I'm not. I'm not super excited about him anymore. Okay, we'll have to see how this one goes. See, this is where listening to a podcast. Uh... <laughs> and then I also listen to Smart Lists, and um, I really like Will Arnett. Mm-hmm. Sean Hayes drives me crazy, and Jason Bateman is just too smug for me. You know, it's funny. My sister listens to that, and she always says that <laughs> she. She's reminded of me with Jason Bateman. You're grading too, but in a different way. I don't oh, think thank you. I don't think you're like I, I, I don't I I know she says that. I don't quite get it, but my my perspective of you is different than hers. But no, he because he I mean kind of like the pretentiousness of it all, yeah, I could agree that like I, I see it. Mm-hmm. But he also acts like he doesn't know, like I mean, yeah, I guess you do do that. Like pretending he doesn't know what like normal people do. Okay. But obviously you're not like a celebrity who lives in a castle. So, you you know, you kind of act like you don't know about like basic things. Like so, Ned Flipple-Flopple. Or, or yeah, certain music or movies you pretend like like that, that's not on your radar. And I think, yeah. But the way Jason Bateman does it, really. The only reason I listen to it is for Will Arnett. And then if they have a guest, I like. Mm-hmm. And they are funny together sometimes. Yeah. Particularly, didn't they do a bit, because they, you know, (laughs) for the podcast, you like record commercials and they did one for like some German mattress. It was a mattress commercial. It was a mattress commercial, but Jason Bateman is doing it like with a German accent. They all are. All of them They all are. That's pretty good. Yeah. That should be nominated for some sort of advertising award. Um, Is there a, is Beverly Hills Cop being remade? Uh, There's another uh, installment being made, I think right now, uh, called Beverly Hills Cop Axel Foley because I saw Kevin Bacon was added to the cast. Would this be the third one or the fourth one? The fourth one, I believe. 
Uh, Eddie Murphy is back to star. It's the directorial debut of Mark, somebody named Mark Malloy. Great. So that isn't great. Uh, Taylor Page, who I know you don't really care for, is uh, on hand. I like her. Uh, Paul, Charles Bronson. Par, uh, Bronson Pinchot. Oh, Bronson Pinchot's in it? Yeah. I do like him. Paul Reiser and Judge Reinhold are all I do like Judge Reinhold. Because they're in the others. Mm-hmm. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's also in the cast. Well, I don't need this movie. Will I watch it? Probably. Yeah, I feel the same. Lastly, Jesus Diabetes. Uh, Bob Odenkirk is starring in this film, which sounds kind of interesting to me. And the director is Heath Collins, who is a It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia alum. All right. Unfortunately, there is an entry in the obituary section. Coolio Dunn died. Yeah. Uh, he was 59 years old. Most people know him um, as a rapper. He uh, did the song Gangster's Paradise, which was featured in the movie Dangerous Minds. Starring Michelle Pfeiffer. That was a big hit song. It won a Grammy. He had a couple of other songs that I know, but I don't know that they were big hits. Um, yeah, he was found at a friend's house unresponsive in the bathroom. So Yeah, I read that they said he went to the bathroom and then didn't come out. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it bees like that sometimes, but um, yeah, that's, well, it's sad because, well, he has six children, which I don't know why he needs six children, but um, to, to be so young and leave behind six children is um, not nice, pleasant mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the secret movie is Ganja and Hess. We have started doing like live reviews, which mm-hmm. are interesting. <laughs> and, the most, and the one we did yesterday, the theme was black horror. And the categories, or the films that were up for selection were Ganja and Hess. Mm-hmm. Uh, JD's Revenge. JD's Revenge. <laughs> Death by Temptation. Death by Temptation. The Beast Must Die with Calvin Lockhart and Marlene Clark. And The Transfiguration. Yes. And the people voted for The Transfiguration. Yeah. Which was the one I was least interested in. <laughs> Same. And, and yeah. I, I really wanted to watch Death by Temptation. Well, we still can. But we still can. So, um, but that inspired us to watch, well, for me, watch for the first time, uh, Ganja and Hess. What was my selection? Because it, it was your selection. It's mm-hmm. a 1973 film directed by Bill Gunn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very interesting. There's a lot to say about it. Uh, we have 20 minutes. I don't want to go long because I don't feel well from this COVID shot. But the, <laughs> the let's just tell the basic story. Mm-hmm. So, Ganja and Hess. Hess is a doctor, a, an anthropologist. And we see that he has gone to Africa somewhere to study some tribe of people the, who... The, the Murthians. Who are known to be blood drinkers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he comes back home. He's very rich. He lives in a lavish mansion. His assistant, who's played by the director... Bill Gunn. Mm-hmm. Is kind of like a weird guy. Like it's established that maybe he has um, issues. And he one night attempts to attack his boss Mm -hmm. dr uh hess Hess green he attacks hess uh and then this assistant goes and kills himself Mm -hmm. and hess who has not died from his wounds drinks his blood well he because hess was attacked with a dagger from this ancient tribe so this is when hess realizes that now he's like a vampire and um a blood addiction. So then we fast forward and uh, the assistant's wife, Ganja, 
she shows up and contacts Hess like, yeah, I just flew in from Amsterdam. I don't have any money. My husband's dead. You need to put me up. She doesn't know her husband's dead. Oh, she doesn't. Oh, that's right. That's a big part, part of the story. She doesn't know. So she goes to stay with Hess and she finds her husband's frozen dead body. After becoming Hess's lover. After becoming Hess's lover. Like immediately. Lover. Yeah. And after she finds her husband's dead body, she is freaked out for a minute. But then she agrees to marry Hess. He converts her to being a vampire. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in some guy as like a, like a meal for her. And they, she has like her first kill. They seem to have conflict because she gets upset because the guy, it it seems like she was really into the guy she killed. And then when they go to like dispose of his body, he's still alive. So she's really upset by that. So then the movie switches to Hess going to church Mm -hmm. and wanting to be saved so we get a scene with him in the church getting saved and then he goes home and kills himself. And the final scene is now Ganja's by herself and we see her victim like rise from the water and run towards her. Naked. Presumably like she's going to continue to be a vampire. The end. Mm-hmm. Okay. The story I think is really interesting. The, you, It should be important to note that laying out that story, a lot of that is really just barely suggested. Okay, so yes. So the version that you have... So when the first when the film was originally released, it was only like a 78-minute cut, I believe. Yeah, they butchered they, it. They, they, they took a lot out. and But the original cut was like 113 minutes or something like that. So like 30-plus minutes were cut from the film to make it more palatable for like audiences. So the director's cut was hobbled together with this 35 millimeter film that is not in good condition. The audio and the visual is quite poor for all of it, but the parts that are clearly restored are like even worse. So it's not um, an easy film to watch. Yeah, you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. And I, I mean, it took a lot for me to piece together what was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say the director, whose name is Bill Gunn, Bill Gunn, I think, and he wrote it, mm-hmm. I, I think he, it's an interesting story. I can see why someone would want to remake it, which Spike Lee Spike did. Lee did in 2014 as The Sweet Blood of Jesus. But his version is not as visual. No, not, I, not at all. It's a, and a much more loquacious, is from what I recall. I haven't seen it since it came out. I would love to have this movie remade like... The way it like is. Like a lavish remake. Like a lavish. Like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes, because I think the story itself and like the... Oh, so the the issues. The quality of the production is poor. I think the director was limited by resources. So it just really feels... Well, I read to you a, a piece that I really like um, on the article written by Jamie Chrisley when the Kino Lorber Blu-ray came out uh, probably nearly a decade ago now. <laughs> I like how they said that uh, Bill Gunn has like borderline contempt for the narrative. Well, it's we can talk about it, but I think one of the biggest mistakes beyond the quality of it is Bill Gunn cast himself as Hess's assistant, and his acting ability is not there, especially compared to Dwayne Jones, From who Night we of, know Night of Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dwayne Jones, I think, gives a pr- pretty good performance. He's kind of like somber and mm-hmm. um, like or like stoic. And he, his voice feels more confident. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, yeah, he has screen presence. Yeah, he has screen. But yeah. Bill Gunn, I mean, he has screen presence, but the acting. I have notes, but my biggest thought about him is I feel like he didn't bother to like memorize any lines. Rambling. Bill Gunn's just rambling. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then I think he instructed Dwayne Jones to do the same. And Dwayne Jones seems a, like he's approaching the rambling like this improv with more of like a, he's being very economical with his words. Mm-hmm. But then Bill Gunn keeps like, because he's just rambling on like doing improv in this movie he keeps repeating himself, and I found that tedious. And then Marlene Clark, who's beautiful. Oh yeah, uh, I I do like her a lot. You said she she's giving me Lynn Whitfield or Do- Dominique Jackson. That too, yeah. Who I, who's also beautiful, but her acting is not as crunchy as Bill Gunn's. But it definitely oh, she's giving a performance. Bill though. Gunn and Marlene Clark are giving like black exploitation level performances, whereas mm-hmm. uh, Dwayne Jones is giving like. You know, he's acting. So that, the, the the film suffers for that. And then I think the narrative, the way it's pieced together, it's just... It's bare bones. It's so bare bones that it's like, you, you really have to think about it. And so then we had a long conversation afterwards because I feel like with a lot of art, what makes, what, you know, it's the context that gives it so much value and makes it interesting. So in... Thinking about it in that way, I find this movie quite interesting when we think about the director who um, I presume is gay. I think that he had relationships relationships with men and women, and he was living with Sam Wayman at the time, uh, and, and he, of course, did the score for this and appears as the reverend uh, in this film and was the brother of Nina Simone. Yeah, Sam Wayman is uh, in the film as the reverend, and he is Nina Simone's brother and the director... Was, was living, living with him. him, so we can presume. But also, the minute I hear, I saw him on screen, I'm like, that's a gay man, isn't it? And then you research. So I think for this gay black man to make this movie in the early 70s, because then we also have to consider sort of like black American culture at that time. Yeah, who I, I'm sure avoided this film. Oh, yeah, because like topics like, I mean, I can only imagine my dad, like if I were to ask my dad about this movie, I'm sure he would know about it and he probably would have something to say along the lines of like, oh, no, I didn't watch that. Mm-hmm that devil shit or whatever. He yeah. would say something like that. So I think it's so inter like I'm almost more interested in knowing, Oh, or if someone could remake this movie like Dolomite, how it's like, Oh yeah. Like the bill gun making, making of, of the bill. Someone could make a narrative feature about bill gun making ganja. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be, be super interesting, but, and, but 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 his writing ability, like his like this idea, I think is very strong. It's definitely stronger than a lot of shit we see, <laughs> story wise. Uh, yeah. No, I agree, and it leaves an impression. I think it's it really is better seen in the theater because I think the uh, to me it's kind of like an ethereal vampire nightmare, um, and especially in the second half when uh, Marlene Clark kills that victim. I really like that scene, and he's like covered in sweat and then blood, and you get that kind of. Fury and th- that anguished scream of hers. Uh, Let me uh, go through my notes quickly. The first like 15 minutes of the film or 20 minutes, there's just a lot of talking about blood. Mm-hmm. Is like if you didn't know this was a vampire movie, you gonna learn today. Like mm-hmm. it's just nothing but talking about blood. Um, again, Bill Gunn. I don't even think on the on the script where like his character pops up, it probably was just like an ellipsis. There, I don't even think there was like a frame. For what he was supposed to say. He is really winging it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The scene where 
the assistant stabs Hess, when Bill Gunn stabs Dwayne uh, Jones, I didn't quite understand that. It, it took me a second to realize what was happening. Well, because it cuts to Bill Gunn in the bathtub. Right, because then, he, so we see him attack his boss, and then we see him in the bathtub. And the bathtub scene is pretty, I mean, it's something to see. For it, sure, because well, first of all, the way he's sitting in the tub, you have never seen someone sit in a bathtub like on their knees. Like it couldn't be more uncomfortable. And then he's shaving with this little ass mirror. And then all of a sudden he starts brushing his teeth with the bath water. Mm-hmm. And then he's like rinsing his mouth out by dunking his mouth in the bath water. And then when he gets out of the bathtub, I swear I saw a little piece of doo-doo floating in the water. Like, oh boy. It was like the but, weirdest But then he scene. kills himself and then Hess comes in and drinks his blood off the floor. But you know, we get a, another curious scene of Marlene Clark in the grass drinking like that too. Well, I think what what the story fails to exhibit, you picked up on it, and I don't know if because you were reading about it as we were watching it, but that Bill Gunn's character is supposed to be mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is not, it does not come across well, in the film effectively. I, I, I think once you... He's depressed and drunk in that scene in the tree that goes on forever. Yeah, but we don't really... But I yeah, mean, it's, it's, I think a lot of that setup is not well established. No, yeah. and it seems so random. Like, what, what possessed the assistant to try to uh, try to kill his boss. I mean, he was with him in Africa. Maybe he knew something we didn't know. I feel like we needed more time in Africa to witness. Well, we just get those like dream sequences yeah. where, where you see that's where Mabel King shows up from um, uh, the whiz, the wit who's e- Eveline uh, shows up as the queen of Mercia. Yeah. If this were remade, I think like as, as is, I think we would need more time in Africa to kind of understand where the, because I really feel like the assistant just feels like, I don't know if Bill Gunn just wanted to be in the movie and just thought, let me or just, had to be. or let, yeah, let me just jump in here and do something. But I, you know, it, it's very much a trajectory that mirrors, I think Melvin Van Peebles, um, you know, who kind of single-handedly created the black exploitation genre with Sweet, sweet ass is badass song, but there there was kind of a, a contempt in it, like a burn bridges quality about his later work as well. And I think you have to keep in mind that Bill Gunn's first film, 1970's Stop, was shelved indefinitely by I, I believe Warner Brothers, uh, and he would have been the second black man to have a studio film after Gordon Parks for The Learning Tree. In that film, Stop, which also stars Marlene. Uh, I believe had an X rating. It's about uh, swingers. It features, uh, you know, flagrant homosexuality, and that it's something that no one wanted to deal with then. Yeah. So I, I I get the sense that he is kind of saying fuck you to the audience, even in this. Sure. I was very impressed by the visuals, even though the quality is poor. I think his um, like artistic eye was quite good, mm-hmm. and. I think the sound or the score, like the sound editing, and well, the sound editing is terrible because of the quality, but I think the score and some of the sound effects are really effective. Mm-hmm. And I almost thought this would work better as like a silent film. Yeah. And just have the score that they have. But there are things, you know, because you have to infer a lot of what's going on. Because none of the dialogue really adds to anything. Right. Especially like the preacher scene. Well, it's like, like <laughs> I, I don't understand why Dr. Hess all of a sudden feels like he needs to be saved and... Uh, oh really I see I felt like that was to me it seemed like he was tired of this life and he thought the only way is to like the Lord is going to save him I know but we don't and and of course the shadow of the cross is what takes him out but uh, I I guess there's a transitional kind of phase missing there for me because I think it'd be more interesting to explore how they're kind of 
you know, with the man that he brings in, it's like, oh, you're feeding off the community. And it's somebody that works in a youth center oh, or something. Oh, sure. And, and, and the guilt of that. And I think that is interesting to explore. Because you do see Hess go off uh, in one scene. And it looks like he had killed a white woman with a baby. There's something that lady lying in the bed. Well, this sort of speaks to people's... One of the criticisms for the Candyman remake was that the victims were within the community. And people were saying, well, why wouldn't he choose to attack, like, white people? Right. So, I, I mean, you know, I, I I wanted to... Here, let's just keep moving on. Uh, well, because I'm running out of time. When we first meet Ganja, she is doing a lot, mm-hmm. which was fun. Because mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, yes, we're going to get like a really campy performance from her. Because she's like dressed to the nines and she has like all her luggage. And she's telling like when she's giving instructions uh, to be picked up she's like your driver can't miss me I'm valuable yeah like, so I was hoping we get fun but that's the extent of it I mean when she first gets to the mansion she's very pushy and throughout she's pretty direct until she converts mm-hmm. so I think you could read into that how like her um, how her character changed when she changed but yeah it looked like the, there's a really great I thought it was great I love the monologue scene with her look, which looks like some of the footage that had been initially cut where it's just her on on in full frame uh, talking about her youth and these snowball fights and kind of expl- used as a way to frame how she felt about her mother and kind of explain oh, sure. her, her later behavior as an adult. But I, she has a line where she she says, "I decided I am a disease," which I really liked. Yeah, uh, another really cool scene I thought was when Ganja's having sex with the visitor. I thought that, and then she kills them. I thought that looked really cool for what they were able to do. Yeah. However, we get a scene where that man puts his like foot in her face and then she puts a toe ring on him. That took me out. I'm like, what is the toe ring? And then we see the toe ring like as they're like rolling around in bed. Mm-hmm. It, like emphasis is placed on this toe ring. Well, because it's like an unholy wedding. Like it's an upside down world. Oh, up, like, yeah. Like, actually. It, like an unholy wedding almost. That does make sense. But I mean, visually it was quite cool. Um, I also wrote down what's the point of the preacher man. So I do agree, I think. But not for the same reason. I just thought that I don't think we needed... We get a lot... You know, I can see why 30 plus minutes of the film was taken out. Because it just seems to go on and on. Particularly the scenes in the church. Because I think the point is very clear that he's tr- he's trying to find an escape from this hell he's put him... He's finds he's himself in. He's been thrust into, yes. Yeah, but then it's like... And then because the preacher's audio is like not good. It's like, it's kind of unintelligible what he's saying... It could have really just been a silent thing where we see, like, or hear some really cool gospel music and we see him go out to the preacher and get saved. It could have been like a three or four minute thing, but instead it's like, <laughs> feels like 10 minutes. Yeah, it feels long. That's all I have. Um, I, I think it's a very interesting film to talk about. I would love to, like I said, if someone redid this in the uh, vein of like Dolomite is my name. That could be so cool. It does make me want to watch the Spike Lee movie. Yes, I would like to revisit that because it's been a damn near a decade. Um, but yeah, if you have, I, I don't know what platforms it's on. You have a disc of it, so that's how we watched it. Yes, I'm but sure it's streaming somewhere. I would recommend it if you're feeling in the mood. I mean, again, it is hard to piece together things. I mean, maybe after listening to us talk about it, you might have some insight and it might not be as difficult. But um, moving on uh, for next week, what do we have? We're watching Hellraiser tonight, I think. 
Yeah, there's Hellraiser. Um, we were going to wait for a friend to watch it with us, but he can't join until it's too late. It's uh, We have an anniversary next week. Our uh, anniversary is next week. Um, and um, we're seeing... I, I've, so if you want to send anniversary gifts, you can send it to the P.O. Box listed in the uh, link. Or, <laughs> or you can just Venmo Fish Jelly. I don't know. Um, and then the what else? Triangle of Sadness, the Palm Door winner. Uh, I have to watch that? Yeah. Oh, did I agree to that? Yeah, well, you're seeing it. It's very good. Oh, oh. yeah, it's you. You need to see it. You should see the Palm d'Or winner. Uh, I enjoyed it out of that out of can, and uh, I think what else is this week? Empire of Light. Uh, there are a couple other things I'm not thinking of. But anything else you want to say? No. Are you reading anything? Uh, still the twenty year death because that you know it's like seven hundred pages and I haven't had a lot of time this week. We did a lot of coverage this week. Yeah, this past week is the most views we've ever had. Um, and we did stuff that's we the future yeah. coverage. Yeah, we have like five videos for like the future that we put up. And then like we did two live videos. And, you know, the the interesting thing about getting more views and more is like lots and lots of comments. It's it's. It's exciting but weird because th th this wasn't my expectation that it would be so involved. I'm not implying that I want to <laughs> give up. I just, it's just an interesting turn of events mm -hmm. that it's becoming like, yeah, it's just weird to every time I check the YouTube studio app, it's just like, like, uh, like more, like just rows and rows of more comments. Mm -hmm. And so that's exciting. And obviously most of, not obviously, but thankfully most of them are positive. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. So last week was very busy. There was something I was going to say. I'm forgetting it now. But um, Dead Space. Dead Space. Uh, was it related to... Oh, movie? no. Next week, uh, Tar is coming out, which I'm very excited to, uh, for that review to drop. Cause the video like, drops tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Monday. Yeah. Because I love that film. Um, and there's a screening next week with Nina Haas and Kate Blanchett and the director. But I feel like I don't need to see it again. No. A third time, right, in in such quick succession. But. Uh, I enjoyed her performance enough. I would watch it again. I don't want to go to the screening you mentioned, but I would, like, if I had to go, I would go, um, because I do think she's very good in She's it. pretty damn good, yeah. Anything else? No. Thank you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.